0: to our topic we're going to be reading from John 4, and Jesus is the source of our living water, but our daily need for water is a reminder that we daily need Him, isn't it? Is our daily need for water a reminder that we need Him, right? So every time you take a sip of water this morning, I want you to remember as an object lesson that you need Him like you need water. So turn your Bibles to John chapter 4. I'm just imagining... That um, you know, As we gather outside, I'm reminded of how Jesus often taught outside. Actually, most of Jesus' teaching was done outdoors. And so uh, if you've ever been to Israel, you'll know that it's pretty warm there. And so what we are experiencing is is nowhere near what they're experiencing. So if if you're feeling the heat and the sweat and you're hearing the cicadas and all the distractions around you, just know that you're in good company because Jesus' first century hearers, listened kind of like this Um, kids running around bugs all kinds of things happening and yet they were able to focus on him because he has the words of life so this morning um i know there's lots of distractions i know that it's it's warm i know that you're probably a little sweaty um grab water kids that's okay um don't 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 be distracted by hey when when people need to fidget or whatever that's all right uh if you get too hot want to get some more water go ahead and do that Um, what we are gathering together, why we do this, why we're even gathering in person, is because we know that Jesus has the words of life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Right? Jesus has the words of life, doesn't he? Well, we want to hear Jesus' words of life in John 4. Open your Bibles, John 4, we're going to read verses 1 to 26 together. This is God's holy, inspired words of life for us today. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself didn't baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, I I love this picture here, I'm going to pause for a second, it says... He's just, it shows him in his humanity, weary as he was from his journey. It says, weary as he was from his journey was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. (laughs) Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. but you say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship? Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit." And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that when Messiah is coming, and he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you and he. This is God's living water for us today. Let's pray. Father, would you help us set aside all distractions? Lord, would you help us come like... like this woman heard you in this time. Would you help us come like those in the first century came, seeking you, setting aside all else because you have the words of life. God, would you penetrate our hearts and minds would you give us your life like fresh springs of water today? Lord, we need to be refreshed in you. We need your living water. We, may we drink of the water that you have to offer us, Lord. May we worship you in spirit and in truth in response. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm. Well, there is a, a kid's book that I read when I was younger. It's called Tuck Everlasting. Anybody here ever read that, Tuck Everlasting? I think they made a movie about it later. I'm not sure how it was, but it's a story of a young girl named Winnie. She's 10 years old. Her parents own these, these woods behind her house. She goes exploring the woods. She discovers this boy who appears to be about 17 years old, and he's, he's sitting beside this tree, and the spring is coming out, and and he's drinking from the spring, and she kind of surprises him. And she's thirsty. She asks him for a drink. He says, "No, you can't drink from this." And and she asks why. And eventually, he tells her that this spring is actually uh, a spring of immortality. That if she drinks from the spring, she'll never die, and she'll be stay she'll stay teen years old. So she can't drink from it. And so he keeps her from drinking. His his brother and his mother come, and as they come up to her. They say, oh no, you told the secret, so now we can't let her out because everyone will come and want the secret here. Everyone will come and want a drink of this water. If you guys drink of this water, everyone will want it. And so they kidnap Winnie, and they take her back to their home, and what they don't know is that they they kidnapped this, this young woman, and this guy with his yellow hat has, has been following her, and he follows her back to the house, and he hears the family's explanation of, of what's going on. He hears the family tell about the fact that, that this spring needs to be protected. No one else can know, and this guy overhears that. So he goes to back to Winnie's parents, and he tells Winnie's parents, I know where your daughter is, but I'll only, I'll only take you to your daughter if you sign over the deed to this forest, this this wood, wooded area. And they, they agree because they're desperate for their child, and so... He leads this posse back to, to get Winnie and when he's going back, he kind of goes out ahead and he, he finds her at this house and he pulls her away and he says he's going to force her to drink of this well and he wants to sell this, this water that leads to immortality. He wants to sell it and make a profit off it and the family is concerned. They want to protect her. They want to keep her from being stuck as a 10-year-old. They hit him over the head and He dies. The family runs, they go free, but as they're going away, this, this young boy gives Winnie a jar of water and says, drink of this when you turn 17, and then one day we'll meet again because you'll be forever 17, and I will, and we'll, we'll be together. Years later, the, fam- the family returns. They find that Winnie's grave. She never drank the water. She couldn't imagine, she couldn't bear the idea of being immortal and, and, and everybody around her dying. She didn't want to live with death all around her. The story is a good one, and it touches on something that's an inherent desire in all of us. All of us want, and to some degree, this, this desire for immortality. But, but not with everybody dying around us, that would be miserable. But there's an inherent desire in all of our hearts for immortality. It's what drove everyone from Herodotus when he wrote of the the fountain of youth in the 5th century BC. It, it's what drove a lot of the explorers of the Americas early on, and the, they looked for the mythical land of Bimini. It's what, what drove the conquistador uh, Juan Ponce de Leon. You know, humanity, it's, we seek the immortality that we originally were created with, but we try to get it on our own means, don't we? And we try to get it in minor ways. I'm not picking on on anyone who wears makeup, but you know, we try to look younger through makeup, through maybe cosmetic surgery, through diet, through exercise, through eating the right food, taking the right supplements, using the right oils, the right medicine, whatever means we can do, we try to conquer death, we try to conquer decay in our own lives. We want a sense of immortality. Um, Even science really right now, trying to conquer all these different illnesses, as if we can conquer death and live forever. But the reality is we're not going to be able to do that on our own. We we can't seek eternal life on our own. There is no eternal life apart from the life that God offers. It's not possible for us to secure life and happiness. That's what what we're seeking. We want want fulfillment. We want life. We want happiness to its fullest. And and yet we can't ever have that apart from Jesus. And and like the Samaritan woman, we seek for that. She She was seeking for fulfillment, for satisfaction in relationships. She's had five husbands so far. She's currently living with another man. She should have by now figured out that relationships don't satisfy. But she's still not learned that hard lesson. And a lot of us, we we keep looking for satisfaction for life, for fulfillments in things and people and relationships and money. And we, we try to surround ourselves. We go looking for satisfaction. We go looking for the water that our soul desires in all kinds of places. And that's what the story is about. It, it's about the deepest desire that all of us have, the thirst that all of us have to be satisfied, to be fulfilled. The thirst that we have to, to want to live forever in a happy way, without death, without decay. And yet we can't get that on our own. Jesus, he comes. He's come to this well. He had to go through Samaria. The, the Pharisees discovered that he was baptizing more people than John. He didn't want to have to deal with them. It wasn't his time yet to be confronted by them. He wanted to continue on his ministry. And so he's heading back home to his home, home area of Galilee. Judea was kind of a strip across Israel here, and then above it was Samaria, and above that was Galilee. And if you're going to get to Galilee, you either go all the way up, straight up through Samaria, or you got to go way around, and it's very inconvenient. So most people would actually choose to go through there. So Jesus is heading back to the land of Galilee, and he comes to this well, and I love the humanity. He's tired. I love that our Savior got tired. You can identify with us in every way. He's weary. He's hanging on the well. Maybe, maybe when he got to the well with the disciples, they all took a drink, and the disciples took a bucket into town, and they left him without the bucket to draw water. He's sitting there by the well. He's thirsty. He's tired. He's weary. Maybe he's like, you guys go on ahead. You get the food. You don't need me to get the food. I'll hang here. Uh, they They go ahead. This woman comes to him, and it's the middle of the day, and she's coming to draw water by herself, which is in of itself a little bizarre. You see, normally the women would come early in the day when it wasn't hot, and they get their water for the day to begin with. Or they come in the evening at the end of the day, and they replenish their store for the night. And yet she's coming, and she's coming alone. It probably signifies the fact that she wasn't accepted by society. She was an outcast. She wasn't part of the in crowd. Jesus sees this woman and he engages her in conversation. But it wasn't purposeless. It wasn't just because he was thirsty. He saw it through her heart. And we've seen earlier in John that, that he sees people where they're at. He saw his disciples when he was afar off, when they were under a tree. He saw his disciples. He sees this woman. He saw what was going on. And we see that in this account, that he knew what was really going on. And so when he asks her for a drink, he's wanting to engage her in dialogue. He says, give me a drink. And she's shocked. The Samaritan woman, she says, look at verse eight, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan? Well, first of all, it wouldn't be common for a man to engage a woman who doesn't know, a single woman at a a well while they're alone. So she's a little surprised there, but she sees maybe from his clothing that he might have some some different tassels or like hanging from his robes. She sees that he's a Jew. She says, "Why, why in the world would you talk to me? were the hated Samaritans. Now, the Samaritans were hated because originally, northern Israel and southern Israel, they had broken off the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of, of Judah. And, and then, around 400 years prior to this, the Assyrians had attacked. And they taken all the Jews out of Israel and they carried them away. And then they resettled the land of Samaria in the middle there. They resettled that land with, with people from five other nations. And so, most of the people there were mixed breed they were they weren't pure bloods they weren't just israelites they were mixed they weren't truly following god they brought all this idolatry in and they weren't worshiping the same god they actually didn't believe the whole old testament they only believed the first five books they, they held that that worship true worship could only be on mount gerizim and so there are lots of differences between them and they grew to hate each other so she's shocked why would you want a drink from me when that's going to make you unclean because they believe that even touching something a Samaritan touched would make him unclean. And he wants to drink it. And so she's surprised. Why do you want to interact with me, an unclean woman? A Samaritan. You know, the last time we saw Jesus speaking to anybody in dialogue was with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman couldn't be a bigger contrast. Nicodemus, he was not only a man, obviously. He was the teacher of Israel. He was the preeminent teacher he was a Pharisee. He was, he was perfect in the way he acted. He, he acted in every way righteously. He was not only that, he was a member of the ruling Sanhedrin. He was a leader. He was well-known. He was respected. He was educated. This woman was the exact opposite. A woman who would have been considered less back then. Not only that, a Samaritan, a hated enemy of, of true people of God. And then in addition to that, we're going to see, she, she was not been educated, but, but she was also defiled because she not only had five marriages, the law didn't have anything against five marriages, but she was living with a man who was not her husband. And yet Jesus engages this woman, knowing exactly who she was, knowing what she was engaged in, knowing her background, knowing she was defiled, knowing she was unclean, And just like Nicodemus, he invited her, and he invites both of them. He invites everyone to receive what they need most from him. No matter where you're at, no matter what you think of yourself, you're more like Nicodemus, or you're more like this Samaritan woman, which is, I think, what most of us feel like a lot of the time. We feel rejected. We don't feel like we belong. we, We feel unclean. We don't feel worthy. Yet Jesus invites them both into a relationship, in a conversation, a relationship with him. You see, Jesus wasn't worried about her defiling him because he knew that, that everything he touches is made clean. And Jesus invites everybody, no matter where they come from, their background, their education, what they've done to be in relationship with them. He sanctifies all that he touches. And, and this, his answer to the Samaritan woman's question, it's a question... That he asks of her Or a statement he makes to her A challenge he has to her And it's a question that we all must wrestle with in this, this passage and, and I want you to, 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 to hear this question The question is Do you know the gift of God? And if you do know Have you asked him for a drink? You see Jesus challenges her He said if you knew the gift of God And who it was Who was asking you for a drink You would have asked him Maybe he pointed to himself You know, all all of us come with our own baggage. But do you know who it is as the gift of God? Do you know the gift of God of eternal life that comes through Jesus? And and if you do, have you asked Him? Have you asked Him for a drink? Do you know the gift of God and have you asked Him for a drink? If she knew that this was the Messiah who not only created all things, He created water water. He created water which which every living thing needs. He's the source of life. And so when he offers, he says if you knew who it was and was talking to you, he would give you living water. He would give you water that's forever alive, forever the source of your life. I don't know if she knew how to respond to that. She didn't know what he was talking about. What do you mean the gift of God How can you give me this living water? Earlier on in the Old Testament, God often spoke about himself as as living water, as the source of living water. In Jeremiah 2, Jeremiah 2.12, the prophet is correcting the people of Israel because they sought other sources of life, of satisfaction, of fulfillment. And so in Jeremiah 2.12, he says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked! Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For, why should they be shocked? For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, They fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Even, even God's people should have known better. Even God's people should have known to seek the water that he alone provides. And yet they turned off away to other sources. They turned away to drink of other things to satisfy. Them. God was correcting His people if they if they truly knew who He was, if they saw who He was, if they saw that, that His splendor, His beauty, His majesty, His holiness, His. His glory, if they saw his joy, his power, his mercy, if they saw his kindness and his love, then they wouldn't have turned away to anything else. And yet as people who had this wonderful view of who God is, they said, no, not interested. Let's turn away and look for water on our own. So we'll make these big pots and cisterns, and we'll catch the rainwater, the dirty water, and we'll try to be satisfied that way. And there's imagery here of this, this woman going to earthly waters And she has to continually return. And Jesus is saying, I'm offering something better. If you really knew who I was, you wouldn't even seek it. You wouldn't seek satisfaction anywhere else. And he's not just talking about the, the water she was drinking, but what he was referring to, and we see that in the passage, is he's referring to the fact that he's wanting to expose where she's seeking satisfaction. See, She was seeking satisfaction in relationships that didn't satisfy And she was thirsty. She was still thirsty. She was in a desert place, and I love the imagery of where they are at. They are probably surrounded by a a, a a virtually desert place. These these grassy fields in the land of Samaria, and yet Jesus wants her to know that that he has something that can truly satisfy her thirst, unlike any relationship she seeks to satisfy. The question for us is, as we encounter this passage is, do you know God? Do you know Jesus? And do you know that he offers something that can satisfy you? And if you do, do you go to him to drink? Or are you going somewhere else? Are you seeking drink? Are you seeking satisfaction? Seeking to satiate your thirst for something else? Now, if you have repented and believed in Jesus Christ, and originally gone to Him. That's good. We're, we're excited. We're I'm glad. That means that something has happened. That means the Holy Spirit has been put inside of you. And now you have this eternal life, this living water inside of you that wells up, that's made you alive, and now you can be guaranteed you're going to live forever. But it doesn't stop with that. We're actually called to be continually filled with the Spirit, to be continually seeking His filling. Why? Because we need the satisfaction and the feeling that only He can offer. The question is, are you seeking Him to satisfy? She's drinking from this physical well coming back again and again and again looking for sources of satisfaction, fulfillment, looking in relationships that won't ever satisfy. And the question for you is, where are you drinking from? That's the second question we have is, where are you drinking from? Whose water are you drinking you know, when I was a kid, I drank from an old rubber hose off the back of my house. We'd go out and we'd play in the backyard, we'd get hot, we come up to the house, we'd run the water for a minute or two because it was boiling hot in the sun, and when it got cool, it was refreshing, we drank it, even though it tasted a little bit like rubber. It, it probably wasn't very good for us, but it wasn't our primary source of water normally, and so I don't think it hurt too many of us, at least not, not very much, right? You know? And... Um, you know, now I don't let my kids drink from the hose. I'm a little concerned, I don't want them to be like me. But it's not their normal source of drinking water. But if you grew up in Flint, Michigan, over the last 30 years, it, it was their normal their normal source of drinking water. They didn't know it was contaminated. Where they were constantly drinking from every day, what they thought was good for them was not. It, it, it contaminated their bodies, it polluted them, and, and many people in the last 30 years in Flint, Michigan have gotten sick. They didn't know that what they were drinking from could kill them. Jesus doesn't want this woman to be satisfied with drinking from relationships that can never satisfy. He doesn't want us to be drinking from polluted waters that can never satisfy. He doesn't want us to be looking to other sources and places for our satisfaction, fulfillment, to quench the thirst that's in the souls of each and every woman and man. You seek to draw from a well that will not quench your thirst. I know that I'm tempted to do that on a daily basis. I'm seek I often seek to, to be fulfilled or satisfied by, oh, what are, what are people saying? Is anybody is anybody liking something I put on social media or will people like this picture? Will they think I'm impressive? Or will people accept me? Will they will they think I'm impressive? I look for those things to satisfy. I look to my marriage to satisfy I me mean, in a way it was never intended to. My children, you know, my relationship with them. And, and when there's something my relationship with them is difficult and it, I don't like it, I can become dissatisfied. Why? Because I'm looking to that as my source of satisfaction. How about you? Where do you look to to satisfy? Is it maybe your body image? What kind of shape you're in? Is it your education? Is it your position? Is it your role? Is it your friendships, your relationships, the group you're a part of? What are you looking to? What water are you drinking from? Where are you looking to to satisfy? This woman, she looks at Jesus, and she says, You don't have anything to draw water with. She still doesn't get it, that he actually has a water to satisfy that she doesn't know about. Where do you get this living water? You don't have anything, you don't have a bucket with you? Are you greater than our father Jacob? And what she doesn't know is that yes. This is Jesus who wrestled with Jacob when he was God, the Son, not yet become flesh. This is the one who made Jacob. This is the one who created all of humanity. And Jesus says to her in verse thirteen, He says to her, "Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again." And I don't think He's He's talking just about the physical water, but it's a metaphor. Whoever drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water I give him will never be thirsty forever. Are Are you thirsty? Are you aware that you're thirsty? Are you aware that you have a a, a need and a longing for satisfaction, fulfillment that only Jesus can satisfy? And are you looking to Him to satisfy you? Any other source will not. He says, the water I give Him will become in Him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. you drinking from the old hose of entertainment or relationships or friendships or contaminated springs, what people think about you, contentment. Peace through substances, thinking that if I can only feel good physically, then I'm gonna be good. Drinking from the, the well of accomplishments that's spoiled and full of dead things. We have an opportunity to drink the water that Jesus gives that's satisfying. He he gives us the spirit, he makes us alive, he calls us to be born again, he gives us life each and every day. And, and maybe you've asked Jesus for a drink, but are you still going? Are you still continually asking? Are you seeking to be filled afresh with the water of his Holy Spirit? And we don't know what the woman was thinking exactly, but she she's intrigued at least. So she says, Sir, give me this water. Whatever kind of water that. I don't feel like coming back here because this is hard work. I'm hot, I'm sweaty, I gotta carry these jars. What in the world? I don't want to I'm thirsty. I don't want to be thirsty again. I have to come here. So Jesus, he has this unique way when he engages people in dialogue, of seeing exactly what the issue is. And so he says to her, he says, well, go go and call your husband. Bring him here. That's a funny response, isn't it? Because he knows that the issue is she is looking to relationships to satisfy. and He's wanting to expose the fact that she's living in a desert place. He wants her to see that, that what she is seeking for fulfillment is not fulfilling. So she answers, she says, I don't have a husband. And she's being a little coy. She isn't exactly truthful with him. I don't have a husband. Well, that's true, he says. But you've had five husbands. He sees right into her heart. He says, "And the one you're now with, that's not your husband." So she, her response, it's, it's almost comical. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> if somebody told you your life story, it, it, you, you might realize that they had received some kind of external education about you (laughs) she says sir i perceive you're a prophet and then she asks him a question and it's about worship because if he is the prophet see the samaritans only believe the first five books and they believe that one prophet would come after moses to replace moses and so when she says sir i see you're a prophet she probably means that you're the prophet to replace moses and if so Explain this because the biggest issue between the Jews and the Samaritans was the place where they worshiped. And so she asked, Our fathers worship this mountain, Mount Gerizim. But you say Jerusalem is where people ought to worship. And she says, Well, you know, if, if you're if you're the Messiah, if you are the prophet, then explain to me really how we're supposed to worship, where we're supposed to worship. Explain to me that what does life look like if you're the prophet, and we're supposed to worship God, how do we do that? Where is that? This this place of worship was central to the whole belief system, and yet Jesus makes it clear that worshiping God, is not about a physical location. And look what he says in verse 21. He says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. But he's saying, the thing that separates Samaritans and Jews, the place of worship is not the issue at all. It's not about externals. You're making life about externals. You're making the life of worship about externals, and it's not that at all. And then he poses a question. You're you're thinking, well, wait a minute. Is this passage totally shifted? We're talking about water and, and who you're coming to from water and where you're drinking, where your source of satisfaction is in worship. How are those things related? We're going to see that in a minute. But then Jesus brings up the issue of worship, and he says, woman... Hours coming out of this mountain of Jerusalem, we worship the Father. He says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation from the Jews. And then he says, but hours coming when, and now is the true worship, was worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. And it begs the question to whoever the reader is, is how are we worshipping? Are, are, are we worshiping the Father? And how are we worshiping? Are we worshiping in spirit and in truth? That's in spirit and from the core of who we are and in response to the truth and truly worshiping Him as well. Not, not fakery, not externality, not an appearance of worship, but we want a life that's transformed by His life that enables us to have genuine worship and response. And that's the connection, really. If we've been made alive in him, if we drink his water, he makes us alive in a way that we can worship him from the core of who we are. And, and we can worship him for who he is. And we want to worship him not only in spirit, but we want to worship him truly in response to Jesus, earlier in John, he cleansed the temple. Later, says he said, destroy this temple of three days I'll raise it up again. He was telling you at the time that he would replace the temple himself. And so, as he's telling this woman, it doesn't matter about those externalities. Why is that? Because he becomes the temple. Oh, everybody who's looking still, there's a, there's a popular teaching out there that, that we have to look for that one day when the physical rebuilding of the temple happens in Jerusalem, then the end times will be ushered in. We, we shouldn't be doing that. Why? Because Jesus already told us that, that that's happened. He is his temple. He is the temple. His temple has been rebuilt. He's ushered in these end ages when we can know God directly through him. Some people today think that coming to him is all about externalities and the, the methodology of worship, how we worship, it becomes a central focus point in how you dress. And some people will be offended by the fact that I'm wearing shorts today. You know, uh, how we worship, the methodology, the practice, whether we're in a building, what kind of music we play, all those things are superfluous, they don't matter. It's not about a fancy show, it's not about production. it's not about lights, it's not how entertaining things are. It's not about whether we wear masks or don't wear masks, how we come to worship. Um, it's easy for us to let secondary matters distract us from actually coming to the one who's the source of living water. And so she's distracted by that. We can get lured in the same way to be distracted by forms of worship by our preferences, by methodology, by where we're worshiping. We can be lured into those false religions, really, of being distracted by all these things. It's easy to let secondary matters keep us from coming to the living water, from receiving from Him and worshiping Him. It's easy for our focus to get off on all these secondary things. I'm actually concerned right now that not just for our church but for the church that is easy to get distracted by all these secondary issues that can divide instead of focusing on, on the very one who gives us life the one who gives us living water we can get distracted by all these secondary issues we can divide over things as silly as whether you wear a mask, don't wear a mask um, what your political preferences are what you think your perceived rights are or are not what cause you are a part of we can let all those things distract us those things instead of turning us to want to seek Jesus for satisfaction we can turn to those things for satisfaction and fulfillment those things can become a form of worship and we think worship is about all those things But much of the unhappiness, much of the problems, the struggles we have in life, it comes from when we worship something or someone else other than Jesus. And we seek satisfaction, fulfillment through other things. If we have these other things, then we'll be okay. If we have our way, our preferences, if we have our cause, we'll be good. And Jesus says, no, come to me. And the Father is seeking not only you to drink of the living water I have to offer, but he's seeking those who respond to him in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He tells them that hours come when worship is not defined by the location or methodology or a practice. It's, It's defined by whether you're coming to him who has living water and whether you're worshiping him for his living water in spirit and truth. Our worship matters to the Father. God's a loving Father. He wants what's best for His people. Do you know that all those lesser things that we seek to satisfy us, all those preferences, all those rights and desires we hold on to strongly, that we think will make us happy, those are the things that tear us apart and that actually destroy our happiness. He says, don't drink from those other things. Don't seek those other things. Don't worship those other things. Come to me, because God actually is eminently most concerned with our utmost happiness, but our happiness is only found by drinking from Him and being in worship with Him. He wants what's best for us, and everything else is idolatry and leads to sin, hardship, suffering, and pain. And so you see those two things come together. We drink from other sources. Those things are idolatrous. Worship's not about these things. It's not about externals. It's about drinking from... Jesus, finding life in him, looking to him and responding to him in worship. We worship in spirit. God's spirit He's not material in nature. We worship not in an earthly temple. This woman's still confused. She's still resisting a little bit. Look at verse 25. She says to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. And then Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. Or, Or more literally, one who is speaking to you is I am. If you truly see who Jesus is, if you truly know Him, if you see Him for His goodness, if you see the fact that God Almighty loved you so much that even though you were in sinful rebellion against Him, He sent His only Son to become a man to condescend to become man. He he became human flesh, and he lived his life perfectly in your place, in my place. If you see that he was reviled and despised and rejected for you, if you see him in all his glory, all his majesty, all his holiness, and him giving all of that up, and if you know that he offers life in him by trusting in all the life that he lived, and by trusting in the death that he died, to take the wrath that we deserve why wouldn't you come to him why wouldn't you ask him for a drink and, and maybe you're a Christian here today maybe you've asked him for a drink initially but you're still thirsty maybe you're like Bono from the U, group U2 and you you know you sing a song he sang back 30 years ago I still haven't found what I'm looking for maybe you feel that way and it, I'd encourage you, if you're feeling that way, if you're you're feeling dissatisfied in relationships or where you're at in life, you're not going to be satisfied with any of those things. You can be a Christian still and feel dissatisfied because you're tempted by these idolatrous desires, these these false worship, and you want to look for satisfaction in other things. And so this morning we have a, a fresh invitation from Jesus to come to Him and to receive the water that he gives and to be satisfied in him and to realize that we will be satisfied in him. He alone will satisfy, give us joy and peace and happiness and fellowship and the relationship alone that satisfies in him alone. So today I encourage you to to get your water and as you're taking a drink, I want you to be thinking of the fact you need Jesus more than you need this water because he is the source of our true life. And then if, if we're drinking of him, you're going to find that it overflows in worship to him. So let's let's do that together practically. Have yeah, the band go ahead and come up and we'll close with a worship song. So can we actually close with he will hold me fast? Is it okay? Excellent. Uh, let's pray and then the band will sing. I pray that you would reveal to us where we are looking for water, Lord, where we're thirsty, where we're dissatisfied with our lives, where we're seeking satisfaction, fulfillment. I pray that you would reveal that, and I pray we will seek that satisfaction, fulfillment in you, and Jesus. Right now, I pray that supernaturally by your Holy Spirit, you would fill us, fill your people with your Spirit. Give us more of your living water. Lord, for those who do not yet know you, Lord, I pray that you would make them alive and fill them with water to begin with and that there would be joy everlasting as a result. God, I pray that Jesus, we would, as we are worshiping, I pray we set aside any satisfaction in lesser things. We would confess that to you and that Jesus, we would be satisfied in your living water, the life that you give. God, I pray that you would Enable us to drink deeply from you again and worship you in response. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and say,